Welcome to Extreme Genes, brought to you by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And welcome to America's Family History Show, Extreme Genes and ExtremeGenes.com. My name is Fisher. I am your radio root sleuth on the program where we shake your family tree and watch the nuts fall out. Boy, we've got some great guests today. First of all, we're going to be talking to Michelle Reese coming up in about nine or ten minutes. You know, throughout most of her life, that was not her name. That was until she got a DNA match that just left her scratching her head, and she discovered some things about herself and her family that are breathtaking. And you're going to want to hear her story coming up in just a little bit. Then later in the show, in light of all that has happened with, for instance, the recent bomb cyclone that hit the Midwest, and of course the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the fires, the floods, I'm going to talk to Mitch Goldstone. He's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Scan My Photos. They scan like 300,000 photos a day. And he's got some insight about why you need to get your photos digitized and the best process to go about that in order to make sure they're preserved in the event of a disaster. Hey, if you haven't signed up for our weekly Genie newsletter yet, it is time you got on it. Get to our website, ExtremeGenes.com. You'll find the box right there. It's simple, it's easy, it's free, and of course, we give you a blog each week and a couple of stories that you're going to be interested in and past and present podcasts as well, so check it out. Right now, it's time to head off to Boston, Massachusetts, where David Allen Lambert is standing by. He is the chief genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogy. Theological Society and AmericanAncestors.org, and he's got your family histoire news. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Fish. How about yourself? Awesome. Where do we begin today, my friend? Well, I'll tell you, smoking is hazardous to your health, but pipe smoking from long ago may be beneficial to your genealogy. Recent findings with DNA inside pipe stems. Isn't this incredible? They're actually finding because the, the pipes were porous. People who smoked these pipes years ago left their saliva inside them. And we're talking like from the 17th century, the 18th century, the 19th century. And they're actually getting some DNA samples that are viable out of these clay pipes. On extreme genes, some of the pipe stems that are discussed in the article online include those that were from slave quarters down in Maryland. And one of them, they find a genetic ancestry that goes back to Sierra Leone. And they're even talking about excavating a local cemetery there that may contain the remains of some of these slaves and see if they can match that up with the permission of the descendants. So it's a very interesting story that's still developing. It really is. And speaking of interesting stories, going across the pond, we've all heard the greatest cold case story is Jack the Ripper. Now they're saying that they may have DNA and evidence from a shawl, but halt before we go with that as a positive green light. There are people like Dr. Adam Rutherford over in the UK who says that the shawl, the provenance is not certain and that it's been handled by too many descendants, so it may have corrupted the DNA. So there's a whole controversy on social media on this. So we're staying tuned on this story. Yeah, wouldn't that be something, though, if they could determine for sure the identity of Jack the Ripper through DNA? It would be amazing to finally put closure on that after 130-plus years. Yep. It's amazing. Incredible. Well, we are digging into the past in Lake George while they were putting in some new houses. They found a cemetery, not a cemetery from recently, but from the Revolutionary War. At least 18 skeletons have been found, and they found Revolutionary War buttons, and they believe it may come from a nearby smallpox hospital. Wow. So you may have an ancestor that died out in Lake George, New York. They may have found him. 
you know, veterans are definitely in our news a lot, and one I think really touches home, and it's a great story on Extreme Genes, Gary Marquardt out of Minnesota. He didn't serve in Vietnam, but he wants to honor those that did in other wars, and he is now planning on doing at least 100 funerals. He's not an undertaker. He's a bugler. And imagine this. He couldn't play the bugle just a few years ago. He realized that Mm -hmm. they were actually playing recordings of taps at these military funerals. And he said, no, somebody needs to be playing live. So he started taking lessons so he could be that guy that plays at the military funerals. And he says, you know, I'm I'm okay." He said, I don't always play perfect, but it always comes from the heart. Unbelievable. Well, he's part of Bugles Across America, and there are only 5,000 of these guys, and they do over 130,000 veterans' funerals a year. Wow. You know, on Extreme Genes, I like to uh, share with you the popular tweets that I put out there. And I just put a strange one out there on baby names. And the fun thing about baby names is we know that we have them, but where did they come from? Have you ever done the genealogy of where you got your name? Yes, absolutely. Not only my name, but my daughter. I've got uh, a daughter, Anna, who's named her daughter, Anna, named after my grandmother, Anna. And it goes back into the 1700s in Sweden. My own name is kind of weird because I was named after my uncle, Winfield Scott Hancock Fisher Jr., who was named for my grandfather, who was the same senior, who was named after Winfield Scott Hancock, who lost the presidential race in 1880, the year my grandfather was born, who was then in turn named after Winfield Scott, the general in the War of 1812, and he was born in 1786. Is that what you're talking about? I'm trying to write this all down, as you said, and I need a chart. You know, and it's the same thing in my family. The name Henry... Uh, is still around with some of the descendants of my great-grandfather's brother. And I did the backward story on that, and it goes back to a fifth great-grandfather who was born in 1695 named Henry Dole of Newbury. You never know. that's where the name came from. Well, I would like to share with you a blogger spotlight that shines on McCall Erin Rule. She is out of Utah, and she has a blog called Making Their Stories Known, and she wants to tell the stories of people, places, and things as a family historian that touch both her own research and genealogy in general. Her recent one, which was for St. Patty's Day, was My Luck of the Irish, where she goes on and talks about researching the Irish and touching on her own family, as well as her Roots Tech summary, so kind of a person who was out there at Root Second. This is truly the next generation of genealogists, and I'm glad they're out there blogging. Absolutely. All right, David, thanks so much, and we will talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon. And coming up next, we're going to talk to a New Jersey woman who got a DNA test result that left her baffled. About six years ago, when I started Extreme Genes, how the name was kind of fun, and of course, DNA was just starting to happen at that time. And now, because of DNA, I think the name has kind of grown into the show, and we're finding more and more and more stories of people who find incredible discoveries through DNA matches. And uh, one of them is on the line with me right now. She used to be known as Christina. Now she's known as Michelle Reese. And, uh, Michelle, it is just a delight to have you on the show. Let's start at the beginning, your DNA test. And, and when was the first test you took, and where was it? Um, I think it was approximately 2008, and that was through Family Tree DNA. And I did it because I was having a lot of problems finding the information that I was looking for for the family tree that I believed I was a part of. And I guess after a while of getting people who had information about their family trees that didn't make sense in the context of my tree, 
I started to get frustrated, so I decided to do a second test at Ancestry. Okay. And I think that was probably 2013, I believe. Right. Things, things were really picking up at that point, 2013. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a second test because I knew they had a really large member database, and I figured, well, maybe I'll get some more helpful matches over there. So I did the test, and the same thing happened at Ancestry. I was matching to people who weren't very closely related, and the places that they were telling me their families came from didn't make sense with my family tree. I grew up believing that I was Greek, Italian, and probably Ukrainian, and all of the people that I was matching with were coming up from very heavy roots in United Kingdom and Northern Europe and Scandinavia, and I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, I wrote it off basically as our common ancestor must have been so far back that we just couldn't possibly be helpful to each other in our research. Well, that yeah. would be a reasonable thing to conclude. And, and yeah. uh, was this the same kind of test you did, by the way, at Family Tree DNA? Because in 08, I don't know if they had autosomal at that time. No. Um, and that's something that actually will come up later in my discovery. But the family tree DNA test that I did was only the mitochondrial DNA. Okay. So, and that was all I was really interested in at that point because I knew everything about my father's family, so I wasn't really concerned with that anyway. I was really interested in finding my mom's mom's family. That's the only people I was really interested in learning about. Okay. And, and where did you so, grow up? Tell us your background. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I grew up in southern New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. And I grew up as an only child in a really small family. My dad has one brother, and he never married and never had children. And my mom, who, she died in 2010, but she was an only child. And so I didn't have cousins. There were no big family gatherings all the time. It was the people that we socialized with. It was a really small group. So it was something you kind of missed a little bit. And here was a chance to really find out more about who you were. Absolutely. I always wanted a brother or sister and I guess I felt kind of lonely and a little bit isolated um, sure. just in the environment that I grew up in. It was, you know, it's much more adult oriented than surrounded by children and cousins and that type of situation. But I always was looking. I always felt like I needed to learn more about where my family came from. So did your dad ever talk to you about maybe why these DNA results weren't matching up to what he knew about his background? Um, no, honestly, it was something that my parents knew I was extremely interested in, but nobody really ever said anything about why maybe some of these inconsistencies existed in my results. It was sure. always kind of like, oh, well, that's interesting, or, you know, oh, okay. But they knew I was very interested and that I, I was always digging for information, so still nobody really said anything about it. So you got it these wasn't. results then in 2013, and mm -hmm. no close relatives there. And did you no. move on from it, or did you check in on your results periodically and, and see if there were updates in ethnicity? What were you looking for as the years went by after that? Yeah, honestly, like I was on Ancestry and other sites virtually every day looking for new documents and possible matches. I was really trying to find some connection to my mom's mom's family tree because these were the people that I was always told throughout the course of my life. Oh, well, you don't look like us, but that's because you look like your grandmother. You look like her family. And of course, these were the ones we conveniently didn't know very well. We didn't know much about them. So there was something in me that just had to find them. I needed 
to yeah. find these people that I looked like and, you know, I could relate to in some way. Because I always kind of felt somewhat different from my family, almost like misplaced. Like I was looking for something, but I didn't really know huh. what it was. Just kind of an <laughs> instinctive thing. Yeah, it's it's really strange looking back now. Yeah, it, it absolutely existed in throughout my life. So over time, something changed because obviously you got a new result. Yeah. So in September 2017, I had some free time and I checked in with my DNA matches on Ancestry. And right at the top of the page, and I'll never forget it, it was in bold orange letters. It said, immediate family. And right below it was a name that I never heard before, didn't know who this person was. And, you know, immediately I was like, huh, well, that's strange. You know, like it didn't set off any alarms in my head at that point, but of course I had to figure out who this was. So her name just happens to be kind of unusual. Um, her husband is Greek, so I was able to find her on Facebook like right away. And I'll never forget clicking on her profile on Facebook and seeing her picture appear and just being very confused, seeing this picture of this person and thinking, wait, why does she have a picture of me on her Facebook profile? And then realizing, like, oh, my goodness, that, that's her. Wow. And when I looked at it a little closer, I'm like, okay, well, obviously it's not me, but it, it could be, you know, me a little bit younger. And it, it was just very shocking. Did, um, did you, th- you consider know, for a moment that perhaps she was a, a sibling that your parents had given up or something? Not initially, no. Um, At first, I honestly just thought that she was a cousin. I didn't think anything along the lines of, like, she's a sibling or adoption or anything like that. All I thought was, wow, this must be one of my grandmother's siblings' grandchildren or something. Because, you know, Ancestry labeled the match as immediate family. But at that time, I didn't really know anything about centimorgans, and I didn't know how Ancestry categorized immediate family. Like, I didn't know, like, could you be parent and child, or could you be all the way to, like, third cousins in that category? Okay. I had no idea at that point. So I sent her a message, and I just kind of briefly told her, you know, we have a match on Ancestry that says we're very closely related, and I'm just trying to figure out who you are, basically. And I mentioned some of the names in what I believed was my family and some of the places they came from, and told her, by the way, I, I saw some of your pictures, and we look a lot alike. It's, it's really kind of crazy. So I sent a message, and she wrote back pretty quickly, and she had no idea who any of the names that I had mentioned were. She had never heard of them. And stranger, she said, well, none of the places that you're mentioning make any sense in my family tree. I mean, I'm German. We come from Ireland, England, and you know, so it didn't make any sense. Which None, matched your was, ethnicity test, though, didn't it? Your results. Well, it did, but I didn't believe it. Oh, okay. I, you dismissed I, it all, right. <laughs> I did. I absolutely did. I figured, well, that's just like my very, very distant ancestral origins. I didn't really take all of that too seriously because I felt confident that my family was giving me accurate information. We're Greek, we're Italian, and probably Ukrainian. Right. So that's what I believed. So when she said that, I thought, honestly, this kind of makes me laugh now, but I thought to myself, how sad. She doesn't really know anything about her family history, you know? (laughs) And she's obviously missing some, like, big parts of her family tree here, you know? Yeah. And now I laugh about it because, like, obviously I'm the one who didn't have a clue. Not a clue. Yeah. (laughs) 
from when I first got my DNA match to my sister until I confirmed my adoption. The entire process was only five days. So it was all very fast. And you had no idea you had been adopted? No, never told that I was adopted, never had any suspicion that I was adopted. In fact, there were facts that were kind of planted into my life story throughout my life to kind of confuse me into believing that I couldn't be anything other than their biological child. So there was a, a little bit of manipulation going on and there. deception to try to there. Deception, absolutely. And, and not only that, this is not any ordinary adoption, as you later no. learned. Let's talk about that just for a few moments here, then we got to take a break. This sister of yours, what's her name? Jamie. Jamie goes to her parents and talks about you. And what did she discover? Well, they confirmed that I am definitely their sister. I have three full sisters. And I, meanwhile, also went to my father, and I had confronted him to find out a little bit more about what was going on in this situation because my sister we had been speaking back and forth for a few days and we were coming up with all these scenarios and well how could this be and she thought for a little while that maybe she was adopted but I really didn't think it was me I truly did not believe that I was adopted it has to be from her side so at one point I think it was probably about the third or fourth day I went to Ancestry, and as you probably know, they have that special team that's specially trained to deal with sensitive DNA issues, and I did speak with them, and basically they told me, like, look, there's basically three scenarios here. You're either parent and child, which I knew was impossible, grandparent and grandchild, which again, totally impossible, or your full siblings. Those are your three choices. At this point, your mother has passed away. Your father's still living. You have no other siblings or family. You have to confront dad, don't you? Yes. So over the course of those few days, I had been emailing him back and forth, sending him photos of this person that I was matching with and just sending some basic information like, like, look at this. This is very strange. I, I have no idea how this is. Do you know anything about this? And one of my first clues that I was definitely onto something was that he didn't respond to any of my messages about that, and that was unusual for him. And just by chance, a few days prior to my initial match to my sister, uh, we had made plans to get together for lunch on that coming Sunday. And he lived three hours away at the time, so I knew that if I didn't have an answer from him by Sunday that I was going to have to just come out and say something that day at lunch because I needed to know. I needed to have that information. Sure. Um, you know, I have ch I have children, and you know, there's a lot of issues. Like if you're not related to someone and you don't actually know where you come from, there could be health concerns that you need to be aware of. Um, you know, there's a right. lot. All the things that are connected to adoption, but just the Absolutely. shock of it too to know that, that these are not yeah. your blood parents for the first time. How old were you at this point? I was 40. I was 40 oh years old. Oh my gosh. So Sunday came, and I kind of showed him some more pictures and a little bit more information, and you know, he kind of nodded and said, yeah, you know, you do look a lot alike, but still didn't seem to be forthcoming with information. So basically, I, I just said to him, am I adopted? Like, it just came out. I'll never right. forget saying those words. Those are words I don't think anyone ever anticipates having to say to their parents, but I said it. Not at that stage of life. No, not at 40. Absolutely not. And I said it, and he looked at me, and he said, well, I didn't 
want you to find out this way, but yes, you are adopted. And at that moment, this fog kind of just descended. I kind of just lived in that fog for at least, I don't know, probably six months. I mean, it was just wow. it was so shocking. Sure, it yeah. would be. of course. Meanwhile, your sister is over on the other side talking to yeah. her parents. <laughs> and what yeah. did you find out there? Well, I found out that when my biological parents were teenagers, my mom was pregnant. Uh, they were 15 and 16 years old. And this is 1976. So my grandparents, well, you know, the people I now know are my grandparents, took her to the doctor. And, you know, they're old school. When a doctor tells you something, they're an authority figure. And they never had been in a situation like this. So they really trusted the physician's advice. And they decided that I would be placed for adoption. Now, this is my grandparents. The issue with it was that the physician that was caring for my mom during the pregnancy had an informal agreement with a local attorney who was arranging adoptions on the side. It was not his area of practice. It was just something that he chose to do on the side. And unfortunately, he was not legally authorized to assist with adoptions in the state of New Jersey. And why he did that as an attorney, knowing that it was illegal, I still have no idea <laughs> why he would do that. But eventually, he was indicted by the state for my adoption and two others that he illegally arranged, and he was convicted. So it was really not a great situation. My mom felt as though she was coerced into the adoption and that a lot of very unethical things took place in order for that adoption to occur. Um, now, they were expecting actually to have communication or at least a knowledge of who the adoptive family was, correct? Well, it was a closed adoption and it was privately arranged, but there was an understanding that I would be told. I had been able to get my adoption file unsealed recently, and even in the reports from the state agency, it very clearly says that the adoptive parents are going to be telling me about my adoption, you know, and when I'm old enough to understand the meaning of the word adoption. But obviously that never happened. And what really breaks my heart is my family was under the impression that I, of course, would be told that I'm adopted. And so over the years, they looked for me. And by the way, we grew up like 10 minutes apart oh, for like wow. our whole lives. Wow. I know, I know, crazy. But especially once the Internet came around, my mom would go on to adoption reunion sites and post inquiries to see if I would respond. And, of course, I didn't know I was adopted, so I wasn't looking for those messages. And she interpreted me not responding as me not wanting to know them. And that just breaks my heart, carrying that for 40 years, thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, I was placed for adoption. But still, I mean, not wanting to know, that must, I can't imagine what that must have felt like for her all those years. Of course, yeah. And so much was stolen from you in the process here, mm -hmm. an illegal adoption yeah. and then the family just basically disappearing and then never telling you. It's unbelievable. It's hard to get your brain around all the implications of this. So what's your relationship like with your adoptive father? Well, I no longer have a relationship with my adoptive father. That was something that I had to do once I found out that I was adopted and some things took place during that whole discovery period that I just really couldn't participate in anymore. I, I just couldn't, knowing what I know now and doing my own investigation into the circumstances of my adoption, I just, I couldn't 
continue that relationship. My trust was obviously pretty shattered at that point. And, you know, it wasn't even a matter of forgiveness. You know, people always say, oh, well, forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you. But it's a matter of self-respect. I, I cannot be in a relationship with someone that I don't trust and that I feel has done something quite major to me and to my family. I mean, that's a really major deception. And I just couldn't continue that relationship. So what's your relationship no. now with your birth family? You've obviously me? changed your name to their name, which is Reese. Yeah. And now you yeah. go by Michelle, which was the name they gave you at your birth. It is. That's the name they put on my birth certificate application, which was later fraudulently changed by the attorney, which is a whole other story. But it is the name that my parents gave me when I was born. Honestly, from the moment I met my parents and my sisters, I felt completely at ease. I never felt uncomfortable or unwelcome or even like I was different from them in any way. I honestly felt so comfortable just from the, the first moment that we met. I was, of course, nervous going there to meet them, but all of that lifted as soon as I walked in the room. It, it was It's really strange how you can really see yourself in people that you've never met before and see all these similarities and interests that you share despite growing up completely separate. <laughs> I feel like we should be, like, studied by scientists or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, there's a lot to the biology, right? Nurture and yeah, nature. But absolutely. there's a lot more to nature, I think, than we often give it credit for. Michelle, it's an amazing story. And I'd like to invite you to come on and, and do a, a bonus podcast with us for our patron club and talk about that integration into your birth family. Would you be up for that? Oh, absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Michelle. And uh, coming up next, an interesting thing has taken place here recently, a thing called a bomb cyclone, a bomb cyclone. And it's caused all this flooding in the Midwest. In fact, in Nebraska, it's the overwhelming majority of counties that have declared emergencies. And this means photographs and home movies and videos, a lot of things being lost. And I'm going to talk to the CEO and co-founder of Scan My Photos coming up next about what you need to do to make sure you're protected against events like this. And welcome back to America's Family History Show, Extreme Genes and ExtremeGenes.com. And it's time to talk preservation. And there's a lot to talk about right now. In fact, this past week, I was chatting with my daughter who used to live in Nebraska and mentioned to her, did you see what's happening back there? They had a thing called a bomb cyclone that went through. And the overwhelming majority of counties in Nebraska have declared emergency areas. And so photos are being lost and the films are being lost. And so I thought I'd get on the line with my friend Mitch Goldstone. He's the CEO and co-founder of Scan My Photos. They've been mentioned on Oprah and in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Al Roker's mentioned them as well. And uh, Mitch, it's great to have you on the show. This is an interesting time, isn't it? Because we not only have this flooding going on, but we've seen the hurricanes that have hit Houston and Puerto Rico. We've seen fires in California. There's so much going on right now, and people really need to take some action to get their material digitized. They do. And Scott, congratulations also on all your success with Extreme Genes here. You helped so many. And this is an important topic. When, when you think of the three Ps, people, pets, and property with a natural disaster, whether it's the wildfires, hurricanes, 
the last thing anyone should be concerned about from the three P's are photos. No one should run back into a home that's threatened to grab those pictures, those generations of nostalgic memories, and, and that's why they need to be digitized. Well, and you think about it, too. I have gone through the digitizing process, and there's a lot to it, obviously, to get that done. There's some expense involved as well, but you also have to make sure you have these things saved in other places. For instance, if you have physical copies, that they're in the hands of a relative in another state or another city, somewhere far away, so that these things can be preserved and hopefully have these things up on a cloud as well. That part of it, I haven't fully achieved yet. It takes a lot to get some of these things up there, but to at least get it started, get it digitized and shared, that seems to be the ticket to me. It is. And it's interesting. A lot of people, whether it's for memorial service or just to preserve those nostalgic pictures, they want it fast. So we kind of reinvented Scan My Photos, where we now do same-day scanning as well. So the same day it comes in, digitized, and what you just mentioned is so important because you need to back up all these images, make extra copies, DVDs, thumb drives, share them with friends, relatives, safety deposit box. One of my favorite services, about 80% of all the Scan My Photos orders, Final Home, is with Google Photos. It's super easy. Of course, Dropbox, Carbonite, right. there are lots of different solutions. Scott, I hear so many stories. I just heard one. Someone had asked if we retained the pictures they digitized in 2014 because their home just burnt down, and their copy was with their pictures. And due to privacy, we only archive all the images for 30 days, so they were out of luck. Heartbreaking. You've got to yeah. upload and preserve That's them. the worst. And you know, the thing is, I, I don't think most of us anticipate a natural disaster. Certainly the people of California and the fires didn't. Those things are always there. But then there are things that aren't even natural disasters that are always eating away at our photographs. Things like bugs and mildew and mice and, and temperature variations back and forth and back and forth. And you had one also that I hadn't really considered before. Yeah, yes. It was actually good news, bad news. Someone had let me know that we had digitized all their pictures, so that was the good news. The bad news is their young child with a handful of crayons and a scissor turned their entire family history into art. But it was okay <laughs> because all of their pictures were digitized prior. So absolutely. So it's not just mildew and dust. It's any condition. Wow. And Mitch, you've got to be like the biggest at what you do in the world. How many pictures a day do you guys do? Scan My Photos digitizes about 300,000 pictures a day. It may sound like a lot. We've scanned 600 million, but there are trillions of still pre-digital analog snapshots. So it's a oh, really yeah. vast market. Yeah, you're going to be around forevermore. You must be doing them in countries everywhere. Everywhere. In Canada, the U.K. are two of our largest ones, but predominantly throughout the U.S., from Puerto Rico, including Hawaii and Alaska, too. How did you start this? It's interesting. When I, when I was five years old, I was with my family at Disneyland in California, and there was just a random snapshot of myself and my dad hugging me. And sadly, two years later, he had passed away, and it's my only memory of him. And it was that single picture, that only memory that got me engaged and involved with photography. It stuck with me. And I know everyone has that single most important yeah. 
important picture. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> I've got one with uh, me and my dad and my brother and my grandfather. And uh, when I was one year old, my grandfather died about eight months later. And then my brother died when I was eight. He was 21. And then my dad died when I was 17. It's the only shot with all four of us together, even though I'm just a baby still. It's just a, a treasure. And it came from digitizing home movies because you could actually take out, obviously, individual frames and turn it into something more than that. And I have that just framed in my office. Love it. That's what it's all about. I know all of your listeners also are probably thinking right now, what is that special picture? And is it already digitized and backed up as well? In our field, of course, we think about ancestral photographs, and digitized photos is really the way that they get shared and posted on Ancestry and MyHeritage and Find My Past and FamilySearch.org, all these different places. It's really kind of the key to the vault, and I'm finding new pictures of ancestors all the time because people digitize. It's really important. It it is. It's funny you mention those companies because each one of them, I'm smiling because Scan My Photos loves them. They're, they're the reason we're in business. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I would so, think so, right? Yeah, huge, huge fans of all of them for what they do. It's so important. And you think back just a couple of years ago, they weren't around. So as this technology advances, there are so many new ways to enjoy your past and ancestry history. Well, and what's fun, too, is you can do that digitizing, and then people can get some kind of Adobe Elements or something and just really improve them. Because those old photos can clean up pretty nicely, fairly easily. And it's just not a difficult skill to develop. They do. And remember, there are lots of different services, too. There's the old Polaroids. And the one that, sadly, no one can digitize is the old APS film. That's that film in the cartridges. So we do that for slides and negatives. On the slide side where people have the 35-millimeter slides and the carousels. They have so many, and there's really no way to view it, see it. So they come back to life, and they're just extraordinary memories. Yeah, just an improved way of using them. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Mitch, for your time. And uh, it's really interesting to hear what's happening right now when you consider the bomb cyclone and all these other natural disasters and how many photos are being lost as a result. And we're glad your company's there and uh, doing the thing they do. Well, my, my pleasure, and thank you for everything you do with Extreme Genes. You've helped so many. Thank you so much. Hey, we are out of time. What a show. And if you missed any of it, make sure you catch the podcast. We're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, ExtremeGenes.com. And, of course, if you'd like to follow us throughout the week, it's easy to do. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. And, of course, ExtremeGenes.com. And you can subscribe to our weekly Genie newsletter as well. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. And remember, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. This has been Extreme Genes. Share your family story by going to FamilySearch.org.